Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, Dateline Tugun, Texas, an anti-immigrant, self-proclaimed neo-Nazi extremist stepped out of a vehicle and began firing outside the Allen Premium Outlets Mall in Dallas. Meanwhile, in another part of Texas, in Brownsville, uh, another uh, anti-immigrant, if you will, activist slammed his car uh, into a bus stop, killing at least eight. All this and more coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine. We come to you every weekday from 5 to 6 over the Pacifica Radio Network. Uh, what a terrible situation evolving out of this weekend. Joining us to talk about uh, uh, the violence that took place this weekend uh, in two parts of Texas is our good friend Camilla Perez-Bustillo. Uh, and also joining us is Miguel Molina. Um, Camilla, we, we were... Uh, planning to talk about the um, closing, the shutdown in terms of well, what's going to happen around the ending of uh, Title 42. Uh, but this has been an extraordinary weekend. Uh, the attack uh, that took place near Dallas, the guy was clearly a self-proclaimed neo Nazi, and um, he uh, wanted to kill people. Uh, and then um, we, we have this car, uh, and this car driving into people. This has sort of almost been, the, the door has been opened by the Texas governor for actions like this to take place. Uh, you want to give us your, your, um, your first take on uh, this violent weekend? Thanks, Dennis. Camilla. It's an honor for me to yes. join. Yes, yes, it's an honor for me to join you, Dennis, and and my brother Miguel Gavilan as well. You know what I want to stress is that it's the government of the state of Texas, beginning with its governor Abbott, who've been at war with migrants and with communities of color throughout the state. And it's been Abbott who's been stirring the pot. Abbott who's been trying to fire things up, deputizing, for example, the Texas National Guard, essentially reviving the Texas Rangers, which, you know, have a long-standing, well-documented history of racial terror against people of Mexican origin throughout the state and especially in the border region. You know, those are all the ghosts that he's reviving and so it's not surprising in a you know in a in a pro-gun supposedly pro-life state that's you know full of all of this hate it's not surprising that we have these two incidents back to back we don't yet know about brownsville what the specific motive was of the driver but we know who his targets were all eight of the people who died, all of them were Venezuelan migrants, lined up as they had been for weeks at a well-known site in Brownsville 
where there was humanitarian assistance being provided at a church-based facility. That we know. Everybody in Brownsville know. Brownsville is a relatively small city. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody in Brownsville knew that these were migrants standing at the bus stop where this SUV careened into at least 18 people. As far as we've heard, there were at least six survivors who are still in critical condition. But we have eight confirmed deaths, all of them Venezuelan migrants. And essentially, there was sort of a shuttle system, you know, with the public buses. That's why they were lined up at the bus stop between this humanitarian space and the shelters where migrants are staying because of the mounting crisis at the border that is not a crisis in the sense of, uh, you know, the migrants are coming, we're being invaded, which is the rhetoric that Abbott has been feeding and obviously that the shooter at the mall was connected to. But the crisis is a crisis created by the state of Texas and by the federal government, by the Biden administration. Ironically enough, they're working hand in glove with each other in the sense of creating the conditions that produce these kinds of tragedies. The conditions which include what's unfolding as we speak, which is on Thursday, May 11th, the lifting finally of Title 42, which, you know, you would think is a step forward, but at the same time, what it's going to be replaced with is some of the most drastic measures that any administration has ever taken. Sadly, the Biden administration in this aspect is completely in step with some of the worst policies of the Trump administration. The basic Thing there, you know, the guiding thread is continuity between the Trump administration and the Biden administration in terms of excluding as many migrants as possible in as many ways that are possible. But especially, and this is what has intensified under Biden through cooperation, collaboration, and complicity between the U.S. government and the Mexican government. That is what is about to unfold this week, beginning Thursday, and that's why these incidents took place. I want to bring Miguel in in one moment, but I just want you to talk a little bit about the... It is amazing. Uh, you, they, they, they say, the government says that they're sending unarmed troops to the border. But anybody who knows anything about military deployments knows if there are 1,500 unarmed troops, they've got a whole bunch of ready-to-go military background by air, land, and sea. Because they don't the, – the idea is you defend your troops. So this really is an expanded militarization of the border, wouldn't you say? And it's dangerous. Oh, absolutely. And we know that this has cost lives before. This is nothing new, sadly. I mean, it's just worse and it's more intense than ever. But people in Texas know the story of Ezequiel Hernandez, Ezequiel Hernandez, who was a shepherd who was, you know, guiding his goats over the hills near the border 
a U.S. citizen of Mexican origin who was killed by the Marines during the Clinton administration, 1997, if I'm not mistaken. You know, we can look it up. And there's an extraordinary poem by Martina Espada about that case. But the bottom line is this. It was at the hands of U.S. Marines that a U.S. citizen of Mexican descent was killed in one of the previous moments, like now, that, uh, you know, meant militarization of the border. We know that militarization of the border costs lives, and it costs lives on both sides of the border. There's nothing theoretical about this. But the important thing is, why is Biden doing this? Because in, in actual fact, The troops are prevented by U.S. law, by the Posse Comitatus law, from actually enforcing immigration regulations. They cannot act as the Border Patrol. But what they do is add an element of terror. What they do is normalize this idea that there's an invasion happening to which you need a military response. Now, ironically, that's been the rhetoric of Abbott, the governor not the rhetoric of the Biden administration. The Biden administration always insists that everything it's doing, no matter how cruel it is, is for humanitarian purposes. Abbott has no such disguise. Abbott is very clear. But the bottom line is, on the one hand, Abbott talks about an invasion and mobilizes the the, the state's National Guard. And on the other hand, Biden mobilizes U.S. troops. So in practice, they're converging. So it's a pincer movement that's generating a climate of terror. We cannot underline this enough for border communities. I lived at the border for five years. I lived and worked there on these issues. I was working at Hope Border Institute and in El Paso, and I was working at New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. I know that this does not have a a theoretical impact. This has a very concrete impact in the life of people who live and work and are trying to raise their families at the border in communities that are 90% of Mexican origin at a border which is the product of the war launched against Mexico in 1848. So, you know, the the history here is really clear. Uh, and this is the perfect place to bring in our good brother, Miguel Gabriel Molina, who lives this history and shares it with me every day. But he's been watching uh, uh, the military on the border for a long time. Miguel, uh, I know you have some questions for uh, uh, Camilo. Absolutely. Thank you, Dennis. And, and thank you, Camilo, for joining us. The, the thing that I heard over yeah. this weekend, you know, Cinco de Mayo, the celebrations, the fiestas, okay. you know, kind of like a national indigenous Latino holiday, uh, was that people were afraid. I, I was asked several times, is United States going to invade Mexico? They're at the border. They got soldiers. Uh, other, you know, I mean, that's, that's, uh, I heard that from three different people. Uh, the, you know, and then a couple of weeks ago, as Dennis mentioned, uh, the U.S. was considering sending military aircraft to hit the so-called cartel headquarters or, or centers of the cartels. And I said to myself, wait a second, what's going on here? So it's it's almost as if, and I wanted to ask you, Kamenu, it's almost as if there's a war 
there's the drug war is just uh, in a sense the the front of it in the back of it it's a war against immigrants and it's always the drug war has always been a war against immigrantes and, and you know it's crazy because we're, we're we're this is the democrats and the democrats have a history you know, Bill Clinton started, you know, Gatekeeper that shut down, basically militarized the California-Mexican border and moved everything to Arizona to El Pasaje del Diablo, to the Devil's Passage, which is one of the most right. unbelievable, hostile, heated terrain in the country. You know, and right. hundreds of people have died in those areas. You know, some, don't, you know, without any names, you know, bodies are found in the hundreds every year. So is this... Is this a, a prelude to, to war, uh, Camilo? Because uh, here we are, you know, refugees, uh, the so-called the Statue of Liberty, welcoming, you know, all those, the hungry, uh, you know, the, 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 the cold, the starving, uh, those that are, you know, uh, marginalized, you know, fleeing death and, and destruction and violence and hunger. You know, the Statue of Liberty doesn't apply anymore to the brown masses, you know, to the indigenous Latino and people of color, you know, coming in from south of the border. Is this prelude to war or possible war? You know, that's what it looks like. And, and you know, I think the, the, the incredible thing about this is, and, and, you know, I'm so honored, you know, Miguel, that we can, that we can dialogue here and, and, you know, converge around this. I was hearing the same things. You know, we've been in close touch with people who live in Brownsville, who were picking up the fragments of human beings who were shattered by this driver at this site, you know, near the shelter in Brownsville, you know, the second incident, not the mass shooting, but the mass killing. You know, that community is terrorized. And, and you know, they're being very careful, very cautious, very responsible, because, you know, we don't have evidence right now like we do in the other case of, you know, social media postings or, you know, a manifesto, the indicators you usually right. have in these kinds of situations. You know, we can't substantiate it yet, but what's absolutely clear is how vulnerable these migrants have, and that's another kind of warfare, right? And, and, and I think, you know, when you talk about the drug war, it's really important. You know, those of us who have family in Mexico, you know, my daughter lives there, my children were born there and raised there. They're immigrants here in the Bay Area now. I mean, this is not theoretical for any of us. And what's absolutely clear in Mexico since 2006, when the drug war went into its most recent militarized phase under Calderon, it's absolutely clear that it has been a war against the Mexican people as such. It is not a drug war. It never was before. The other part of my family is from Colombia. So, I mean, we can tell you some stories from Colombia, too. And in effect, the drug war, you know, was transferred, transited from Colombia to Mexico. You know, just watch, this, watch the series Narcos, right, that a lot of us know about. So the bottom line is this. There's a human cost to these policies. And this applies both to Governor Abbott and to the Biden administration. They share responsibility together with Mexican authorities under Lopez Obrador, who sadly, tragically, have been playing along with the U.S. rule book and have permitted themselves to become accomplices in this kind of terror. Because what, Mex what migrants face on Mexican territory because of the combined effects 
of the drug war, of so-called free trade, of U.S. coercion that began under Trump and has now been intensified under Biden, what migrants face is horror, is a systematic context of terror and persecution. We don't even know how many migrants have disappeared en route in the last 15 years, but we know that the number's in the thousands because we have the reports from the families. These migrants are somewhere. And, and what, you know, what migrant advocates say in Mexico, human rights defenders, is that Mexico has become one large mass tomb at the borders of the U.S. And it's a mass tomb just like we did in Guatemala. I'd say we, those in the U.S. who are responsible for these policies. That's what happened in El Salvador. That's what happened in Nicaragua. Then it moved to Mexico. And, of course, it already happened in Colombia. And, you know, we can, we can add Haiti and others to the list. The bottom line is this. It's absolutely clear that these policies have a cost. And this cost is what was being paid this weekend. When you describe it, we're talking about the Cinco de Mayo holiday weekend colored by death colored by blood through these incidents and it's governor abbott and it's president biden who have to be held responsible and of course trump you know and of course there are differences at the margins between trump and biden but not as to these policies as to these biden continues to play the game that is seeking to placate the republican extreme that abbott represents those who use this rhetoric of invasion recurrently after El Paso. Let's remember the El Paso massacre of August 2019, where there was a shooter like the one at the mall, but who was explicitly targeting what he described in his manifesto, the Walmart shooter, as the, quote, Hispanic invasion of Texas. Anybody who knows history is that the, the history is exactly the inverse. It's exactly the opposite, right? Texas was uh, Mexican uh, territory uh, and was invaded right. by the U.S., right? So let, look, uh, who's invading who, right? Well, the most important thing, I think, Camilo, is that Texas has become the most dangerous state in the United States for brown people. I mean, look at the last year and a half, there's been four mass, you know, killings targeting brown people, basically. And it's like the race war has started in Texas. You know, they are actively going out and, you know, hunting and gunning down, you know, from children to adults. Nowhere in Texas is it safe. And, and, and to say, you know, just Texas, nowhere in the United States is anybody safe anymore from violence, from, you know, schools, you know, morgues, uh, you know, temples, churches, uh, hospitals, uh, you know, shopping centers, parking lots, clubs, concerts. Nowhere in the United States is anyone safe. And if you're brown in those states like Texas, you're literally a walking target. What can people do, Camilo? This is the frustration. When I was, you know, yes. talked during yeah. the weekend, I, I, it was hard giving answers. People want, what can we do? What should we do? Right. You know, it's almost, you know, I mean, what do we tell people? What do we tell our people? What do we tell those yeah. progressive alternative communities that are for peace and love, not hate and violence? How do we deal with this as a people? 
You know, it's a crucial question, and I'm going to mention a couple of specific places people can go and things people can do. But before that, I just want to add one thing. Let's remember, when you say how dangerous the entire country has begun, that just in the last couple of days, at the same time as all of this was happening in Texas, Florida passed the single most radical, extreme, drastic anti-immigrant law yet adopted anywhere in the country, ever before. That's Governor DeSantis. DeSantis and Abbott are in a race to see who can be more extreme and garner more of that vote. They're competing with Trump, of course, right? So, I mean, imagine that's the kind of competition that's going on to make the entire country even more dangerous for all of us. We know that, you know, Florida is a state with a huge Latino population, including many Mexican farm workers and Central Americans and Haitians and others. So we know what that means. That's target practice that's being implemented in Florida through DeSantis as well. Let's remember that. What can people do? We are trying first to mobilize people to the border this coming week. Three members of the leadership group of Witness at the Border, please go to witness at the border dot org or go to our facebook group which has over eighteen thousand members on facebook witness at the border we are having three members of our leadership group present at the border including josh rubin who's had the honor of being interviewed before on this program and we were down in brownsville in fact organizing a vigil for 70 days in january and february 2020 against one of the key forerunners of these policies what was called the remain in mexico program three of us are going to be down there at the border i'm going to remain here in the bay area because i want to make sure we're organizing here in the bay area as well because our framework for this is that the border is everywhere the border is everywhere we live and work the border is everywhere our families are present the border runs through the bay area just as it does throughout the u.s mexico border region so we're going to ask you there are two webinars that are coming up that we're organizing um, one is uh, based here in the Bay Area through Global Exchange. That will be Wednesday at 5.30 and then Pacific time. And I've sent the information to Dennis. I'd greatly appreciate it. Dennis and Miguel, if you can help us share, share the information about that webinar, which is talking about what is unfolding this week and everything we've been discussing. And it, it will be updated as necessary as we get more information about the horror in Brownsville. We are organizing another webinar Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. That's the day, May 11th, when Title 42 will be lifted, which is kind of D-Day. And it's the day when we fear there may be more violence and when many migrants, thousands of them, are going to be turned away. Thursday at 10 a.m. through a coalition called Zooming to the Border which ranges from human rights defenders and advocates, community folks based in San Diego, Tijuana, all the way to Brownsville, Matamoros. That's going to be a national webinar. The first one is a Bay Area generated one through, through uh, a global exchange and the work of Marco Castillo and Ted Lewis there. And then the one on Thursday morning. And then we're organizing an event, a community based event here in the heart of the mission at the Medicine for Nightmares bookstore on May 23rd, May 23rd, 
at 6 p.m. I believe it's a Tuesday night. We're going to organize a community-based commemoration in mourning and in honor of those who died in Ciudad Juarez and those who have just died in Brownsville and at the mall, because all of them are people of color and most of them are migrants. We will be honoring them in the mission at 6 p.m., but we're also assembling a panel, a panel with participants from Global Exchange, from uh, Instituto Familiar de la Raza, from Acción Latina, from the Jornaleros, our brother Francisco Herrera from Caminante Cultural Foundation will be there. We will be there. We're, we're coordinating this through the National Lawyers Guild. Also, in addition to commemoration and mourning, we will be providing tools of critical analysis and advocacy so we can fight back. Here in the mission, just like we need to. Here in the Bay Area, just like we need to throughout the country. And, and the overall frame for the event is the border is everywhere. Please join us May 23rd, 6 p.m. Please join us in the next couple of days at the two webinars I just mentioned. You can go to the website for Global Exchange and find the information about the webinar Wednesday at 5.30, May 10th, and go to Zooming to the Border on Facebook or online, and you'll find information about the webinar on Thursday. And what we all Beautiful. need to do is watch very carefully what unfolds, especially Thursday when Title 42 is lifted. You know, those of us who've been well, following this closely, we were discussing this with Dennis. We know that there's pushback in New York, pushback in Chicago. We know that there is this attempt to kind of stir this kind of racism and xenophobia throughout the country, wherever migrants will need to be received. And we need people's humanitarian support here in the Bay Area to receive as many people as we have to, because... This is a shared responsibility that we all have and a shared duty. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, you know, the, the policy is so cynical, this notion of if you, if you cross, uh, if you have to cross another country to come to the United States, you are immediately uh, ineligible for asylum. Are you kidding me? That's I mean, there's so much to talk about. The you... other country first and await that yeah. result. You cannot apply here it's, until you've done that. Right. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, we're going to leave it there. For, yes. We're going to leave it there for yes. now. But Miguel Camillo, incredibly important to have you with us on this today. Uh, this is a battle that we're going to keep a very close eye on uh, here on Flashpoints. And again, we are very grateful. You are listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. That's the People's Radio Network. I'm Dennis Bernstein. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to keep talking about this with Professor Robert Bezenko, who teaches at the University of Houston, and he knows firsthand what it looks like uh, uh, to try and sort of be a teacher in in uh, Two-Gun, Texas. Stay with us. <laughs> We'll be right back. 
And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine. We are really uh, privileged to welcome back to these airwaves Professor Robert Bezenko. He is a professor of U.S. foreign policy at the University of Houston. He currently co-hosts the Green and Red podcast, which discuss politics and history. Welcome back to Flashpoints, Professor. It's good to have you with us. Well, um, give us your your first take. I mean, you you've lived this every day. You teach uh, in uh, Houston. You uh, have been following this, and you lost your own son to gun violence. We'll, we'll talk about that too, and how dangerous it is to have all these weapons around uh, folks who may be a, a little troubled to run into a problem. And uh, I guess they, th- if he, you got a gun close by, you solve it all real quickly. But anyway, um, Professor Pazanko, tell us, give us your take. Two apparently racist attack. The guy, you know, at the mall, he clearly was a self-proclaimed neo-Nazi and uh, they're still investigating the other one. But people are saying, people who were around the uh, the guy who uh, ran uh, his car into the folks say that they uh, he screamed out uh, some racist statements. But anyway, give us your take, your first take on all of this. Uh, yeah, I mean... Um you know, a lot of people say you become numb to this, but, you know, it's pretty jolting every time it happens. Just, you know, even though we don't, we're not, you know, we're not surprised anymore, I guess. It's, it's safe to say that, you know, these things just happen so frequently, especially in places like Texas. And, and you know, when it does, you just, you know, my thoughts obviously go to the, the families and the stories coming out of Allen, Texas at the Allen Mall are, are truly horrific, you know, uh, first responders and just the way they've described the, the, the injuries, you know, the, the people's just bodies were torn apart. These are, these are, these are military weapons, you know, uh, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, there was five were killed in Texas. Uh, some guy was shooting his gun into the air. And the neighbors told him they were keeping the baby awake and he killed five of them within the Arctic. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, it's, it's just painful, right? Because I just have no faith that anything is going to change. You know, after the massacre in 2012, the, the second graders, you know, at Sandy Hook, I just, I, when nothing was done then, it, it just was this terrible sinking feeling. And we just watched things get, you know, worse, worse and worse since then. And it's, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's just uh, what kind of society this is. And, the people who run it, you know. And the that press conference, I don't know if you caught it, uh, that they had around the shooting and the way, you know, they each spoke for about one minute. Everyone said uh, thoughts and prayers and they went <laughs> home without taking a question. Yeah. It was, Unbelievable! It was it was beyond cynical. It was like uh, you know slapping the faces of the people who were just brutalized. Yeah, and this is actually I think it stems this new town. People said, okay, finally something's going to get done, and the NRA came out, and you know this is when they started the whole good guy with a gun, bad guy with a gun BS, and and it worked. You know, I mean to the to the, to the extent that nothing got done, and now that's just their go-to thing, right? As soon as something happens, they don't even pretend they're going to do anything. They say, oh, no, we're not going to do anything. 
Cornyn said it, the people in Tennessee have said it, Cruz, you know, Abbott, of course, is starting to talk about mental health, which, you know, is just another distraction for him because he's actually got $200 million for mental health facilities here in, in Texas in the last two years. So they just kind of distracted. And now, you know, the border thing I've noticed on social media just in the last few hours, Abbott has a ton of stuff up now about the border. Right, he wants to distract people away from guns toward that, and obviously he's not mentioning the person who plowed into the the people in Brownsville. It's a uh, it's such a, a terrifying and dystopic, uh, you know, place. I don't know what to say or what to do. I mean, you know, Fox News recently did a poll. Um, you know, within the last couple months, I think, uh, where um, huge percentages of Americans favored gun action, action on guns. Like in the 80s, right? And and even in Texas, you have similar numbers, and nothing nothing gets done. And you know, I mean, I'm not going to let the Democrats off the hook either because they talk a good game, but then they don't really do anything. You know, but it's it's uh, you know, 87 percent of Americans favor background. So I have it here: 87 percent uh, favor background checks. 81 percent want to enforce existing gun laws. 81 percent say you should be 21 to buy a gun. 80 percent believe in mental health checks. 80% believe in flag laws, and 77% believe in a 30-day waiting period. And that was just done a couple weeks ago. Overwhelming. Wow. And, and and these numbers, and I mean, all you get from Biden is, oh, nothing I can do. You know, they won't do it. You know, and, you know, I mean, there are executive actions. There's just all kinds of stuff. And, and he does I don't think they try. I think they use this to raise money to get people to sign petitions on move on, and they don't really try. So... I don't know. It's, it's very the, I want you to talk a little bit about the sleeping giant, uh, which is part of this whole um, dealing with guns. Uh, you've lost your son, uh, who was depressed and took his own life uh, with a gun. There's not much said about uh, guns. I, you know. These folks like to say now that your governor is saying mental health, I'm sure he really feels that um, we we have to have a more <laughs> more mental. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, well, talk about um, talk about the the suicide problem and kids. Yeah, I, and I always like to point out, not like to point out, but I have to point out that the vast majority of gun deaths in America are suicides, anywhere from. The numbers have gone down a bit. It used to be about two-thirds. Now I think it's around 60%. And this is one thing that actually, you know, can change, I think, because, you know, this is something that's often done spontaneously. It, it does have a mental health component, but it's just so easy. My my son, I didn't even know it. I purchased a gun on his 21st birthday, you know, and, and you know, you're in a bad mood. You've had a bad day. Uh, I don't know, a friend or a girlfriend. You've had a fight, a boyfriend, you know, who knows, and, you grab a gun and it's, it's very offensive, right? And this is something I think, you know, we really need, because these horrible events, like at the Stonkin Mall or where else, those are actually in terms of numbers, uh, not the biggest percentage by uh, at all. And so there are just, you know, domestic disturbances, you know, husband comes in and shoots his wife and kids or, I mean, obviously suicides are huge. And so this is something that, that you know, never really comes up in the gun debate. And it just, you know, it's such a huge factor, but it's just too easy. I mean, it's just, you know, if you've ever traveled, you know, anywhere outside the U.S., people are stunned at, at, at just 
but this gun fetish and how easy it is. I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. You know, we've had this conversation so many times. But, I know. Uh, I'm sorry. But I, I no, just no, uh, just can't give it up. No, I, I don't um, blame you. Yeah. When you look yeah. at something where 87% of the country, that's a majority of Republicans, a majority of NRA members agreeing on something, and, and a small group of people refuse to let it happen, and the, the, the so-called resistance, the Democrats, don't really push it. It's just, it's, it's really scary, actually. I mean, you know, uh, I've never really been concerned, but now, you know, I'm not in Texas right now, thankfully, but and it can happen anywhere, true. But, I mean, you're afraid to go out, right? You can't even, it's not even in the old days, you used to say, well, I'm going to be careful, or, you know, if somebody cuts me off, I'm not going to haunt my horn or whatever. Now, it's, it doesn't matter. You know, you can just beat them all. You could be anywhere at school, right? I mean, it'll be a... Uh, what, in a couple of weeks, it'll be the first anniversary of the Uvalde massacre, and there's been no right. no fallout from that, nothing. I mean, I think one one cop out of that hundreds that came lost his job. I mean, nothing's happened. No one's been held accountable, and those horrible, those families have to go to these these hearings. They go to hearings all the time, and they hear people with this BS. We, you know, like you said, lots of prayers, but I mean, and they could just look, I mean, I don't know how you could do that, look a parent of somebody who's child was killed in school look him in the eye and you know not and just bs him like that it's just i don't know and i think it's a mind blow and i i do i have asked you this question before but it's almost unbelievable but with the most recent laws passed after a bunch of mass killings in texas you you're a teacher your students can just walk into your classroom heavily armed uh sit there maybe they don't like something you say or you don't give them the right grade and you know they lay a gun on a desk or i mean literally it's like open carry anybody gets a gun all you have to do is say i'm not um um i don't have any uh convictions yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, the creepiest part is that they actually have made the laws easier in the last year or two. Right. You know, because there have been so many ma- major killings here in Texas, Sutherland, and I forget, there are a few. And they actually made the laws more easy, you know, like easier to get a gun. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just everywhere, right? You have to be careful about what you do, and especially now it's been politicized, right? This kind of violence really has this right-wing ideology attached to it, which... You know, in the past, you used to think, like, from Columbine, it tended to be, like, angst and mental abuse, you know, but now there's, like, the guy now in Texas, I don't know much about it, but I saw a picture where, you know, he has, like, squats to get tattoos and stuff like that. And, you know, remember in El Paso, if you were filled with the manifesto, it was all about immigrants. And, you know, once you have this, like, you know, this right-wing violence, you know, uh, and, and this accessibility to guns, I mean, it's not going to get better, obviously, and you have. You know, I mean, wow. these people make hero. I hear out of uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. They made a freaking hero out of this little yeah. punk. And I mean, what do you do? Uh, that's a culture that's just decadent. It's I don't know. I, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like uh, talking about. I just don't know what to say when that's stunning, right? That you would make a hero out of this little kid. You know, it's unbelievable that he walked totally walked. I mean, he, he walked. Yeah. I he it started with him being given water by. 
by the cops on the anyway gotta leave it right there bob i really do appreciate you taking the time out uh to talk with us about this stuff i appreciate appreciate the time you spent on this because it's a huge issue and i mean we just got to keep doing plugging away at it because i I hate the fact that more and more people are going to suffer through this you know their families and it's it's just i don't know so anyway i I appreciate what you do all right. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, take care. We'll talk uh, again, I'm sure, too soon. Uh, you are listening to Flashpoints on Pacific Radio. Even though I didn't write this on the run sheet, Mike, we're going to take a musical break. And then we're going to uh, welcome back Isabel Garcia. And we're going to be very happy to have us her with us. Stay tuned. That's Aurora Day Rains on Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. And we are really happy and privileged to welcome back to these airwaves Attorney Isabel Garcia, longtime immigrants, refugee rights activist, frontline uh, uh, attorney, if you will, lawyer for the people, a former. Um, uh, public defender and many, many more things. Uh, Isabella, it is good to have you back with us. It isn't fun uh, in the context of uh, <laughs> the Biden administration sending troops to the border. What are your thoughts? What's your initial uh, gut reaction? Uh, is this uh, troubling to you? Yes, well, first, uh, thank you, Dennis, for the invitation. Yeah, unfortunately, sure. um, it's it's really not shocking to me. I hate to tell you that. Um, it's an outreach and a complete failure again on a Democratic administration to even to make any real steps towards dealing with the migration phenomena. Instead resorting to troops instead of months before gathering, deciding on what kind of uh, support services would be needed, including, you know, office workers to fill out forms to 
provide services, social services, medical, what have you, to bring in 1,500 troops, what do you think the military is trained for? As far as I know, and I've never been a military member, nor my family, but as far as I know, all of the military teaches you warfare and how to destroy an enemy. And that's the context. That's that's the image, even if you only care about image, because they claim, oh, yeah, they're not going to be dealing directly with they're dealing with warehouse. Well, they're going to warehouse people. What does that mean? So it's uh, obviously uh, more of the same um, from administration to administration, uh, continuing uh, to make uh, what our good friend, past uh, colleague who's passed away, said that the immigrant would become the international criminal. And we've really taken that uh, to the highest extent. I mean, the Republicans are trying trying to pass a bill to begin Operation Streamline again. And let me remind you, that's a fast-track federal prosecution, criminal prosecution system that takes place in a courtroom across the border, and within an hour, they criminalize. They take 60, 70 people, and they criminalize them and sentence them to prison all within an hour. So, uh, you know, sending the troops, continuing to prosecute people, and continuing uh, this prevention through deterrence. In other words, through death, right? I mean, we've seen what this means militarized and remember you know i mean some of us are older and stuff but back in 91 we had a forum here to say we need to look at nafta and what these economic agreements are going to do imagine that was long ago and senator congressman colby and all of them argued that we were crazy that NAFTA was going to be, in fact, the solution to all the migration issues. And my question is, really, is to the public, where are you? Where are we? Why aren't we asking, uh, didn't you say this? And didn't you say this? And that migration and that uh, globalization was opening up doors for all of us, while the sad reality is the exact opposite. It has opened, of course, doors for intellectual property i mean they've guaranteed legal structures and avenues on how to protect and and conduct that without borders and barriers they've got protections for the corporate elite that travel but they didn't tell us that they were going to be creating obstacles and barriers at every moment for people and for biden to impose I mean, an inhumane transit ban? Can you imagine? And that if you do not stay within your transit ban and, and uh, you know, request asylum in those very countries that we, too, have, you know, devastated, whether through our military, through our drug operations, through our anti-terrorists, and whatever it is they make up to uh, devastate Latin America, and now look at, uh, people are having to escape 
some of the very conditions that we helped to create. And the American public, you know, ignores that. And so here we are in a really uh, tough situation with, yes, with a with elections coming up. And I understand, I mean, the, the Democrats' concerns about how they're utilizing this humanitarian crisis against them, but rather than being bold and standing up to what this situation demands of us. Because let me tell you, I believe that, you know, radical hospitality is even cheaper than radical militarization, which is what we've got. Right. You said radical hospitality. Is that the phrase? Yes. And it's not. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that phrase. (laughs) Can you imagine if that was our policy instead of weapons? I mean, isn't it true that the, you know, this two-gun society, you can blame all the maniacs and all the the Second Amendment freaks, uh, but this Mm -hmm. country loves its guns and it's a two-gun society, and there really has to be a major transformation, doesn't there, at the very roots Yes, we flooded Mexico with guns and ammunition. Imagine that. And then we blame Mexico for everything. China has flooded them with, with uh, you know, chemicals to do fentanyl. And then the U.S. and, and we create a, a drug addiction like no other country in the world has ever created. And, you know, are we surprised? I turn on the TV in the morning and my young child will listen to what? commercials about how a pill will solve everything. Pills and pills and pills. And the pharmaceutical uh, industry, you know, has really gotten away with murder. And now they've created this addiction. And and so here we are in, in, a, in a situation where we are, we, we've created a, a, you know, a humanitarian crisis along the border rather than having managed the migration you know, logically and reasonably and humanely these last few years. No, there's been, we created these refugee camps all along our border with people suffering and all. And from Cornell, you know, and they show these these themes of people and such against us. This election is, is you know, it's, it's going to be horrible because uh, we have formed a collective to... To fight this, uh, stop the hate collective, because we've seen this last election round that the Republicans utilized border immigrants, invasion, and fentanyl all together. I heard the testimony from the experts. 93% of the fentanyl comes through the port of entries. 86% of those carrying it are U.S. citizens. And they said, oh, well, that's beside the point. We, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have to continue to attack the migrants, right? The immigrants. We have changed, uh, you know, and Biden, too, is guilty that we have changed asylum law, the right to asylum, the right not to be expelled back or returned. We found that we were instrumental in after the World War. Then we codified it in our own 1981 Refugee Act, and and we've pretty much destroyed it. And now to say 
if we find you in the United States and you would cross through Mexico or Guatemala or wherever, well, all of them, uh, that's it. We have a right, as if your right to asylum does not exist. Right. That is wrong. That that's exactly. cynical, diabolical policy, uh, and it's it you know it really comes down to folks don't have a chance, and really you can see what they really want to do. And tell me if correct me if I'm wrong is they want a new Bracero program. They want a new sort of semi-slave labor program that they can utilize uh, for folks to do, uh, folks coming over the border to do the hardest work because uh, they can't get any white people to do it. Uh, and then oh, if, yeah. they, if, if there's any complaints, that's yeah. That's what they support. Mm-hmm. Yep. If we're lucky, that's what they support because we have to understand since the you know, late 1800s after our attacks on the Chinese immigrant and Oh, the, the horrific treatment of the Chinese and then the anti-Asian provisions that uh, followed us, you know, until the 1960s, whatever. Uh, they focused in, I mean, there's an element, of course, good capitalists focusing in on what? Cheap labor. We've been their source of cheap labor since they took this part of the country and after, like I said, the exploitation of the Chinese immigrants. And, uh, and and yet there's another element, of course, that they placate. They don't really deal with human rights or anything. They just deal with their man for labor. And then the other element in the country, which is, you know, the racist, the xenophobics, the ones that uh, the, formed the basis of our immigration laws in 1929. Speaking of Mexicans, in the worst terms you can imagine, it's all in the congressional record. And so, and so here we are still with laws whose basis is that foundation I'm just telling you about. Racist is all heck. Uh, really unconstitutional it should be our laws because um, that was the foundation to exclude Mexicanos. And you can le- read the the congressional records yourself, you can read what Congressman Box from Texas, a Democrat, said why he had to, you know, keep Mexicans out, describing us as mongrels. And, I mean, just an incredible statement, right, about uh, who we are. So those form the foundations. Those form the same hatred that leads to this rancher, 78-year-old rancher, uh, five weeks ago shot and killed a guy from yards, 150 yards away, carrying a backpack. They were going to work. He's gone to work many times in Phoenix. He shot him. Fear and hatred. Fear and hatred killed, as we can see, all over this country. And so we're, you know, this militarizing our border continues that hatred. It fuels the human rights crisis we already have at the border. And it continues. I mean, you know, this militaristic uh, uh, gentrification of our of our homelands is is really unconscionable. And so it continues. And now with you know a Democrat that, of course, I voted for because in the end, you know, I mean, you've got to we're not get get somebody that we really love up there. We've got to get the people that we can most push. That really ultimately is it that we can push on issues, that we can get some. On immigration, it's always tough, you know? 
because the Democrats have been in sync with Republicans in terms of, you know, securing the border, militarizing the border, militarizing this border. And the consequences are deadly, devastating, um, particularly for migrants who have crossed. You know, the the migration that exists for thousands of years to begin with the north-south migration, but particularly the migration flows that we have exacerbated, right? And so um, the destruction of uh, the Honotham lands and Yaqui lands, you know, we're we're home to uh, 22... Uh, nations here and they're feeling the impact as well as the indigenous that are crossing from Guatemala and El Salvador and, and other places and so we are um, destroying this particular area of the world wow. and it's beautiful the desert here is beautiful and we've destroyed so much of it oh man well listen we're we're gonna have to leave it there but isabel garcia mm-hmm. we always really appreciate having you on to get a real uh look from the ground up about uh, the implications for this really vicious uh and i think that it's a part of an ongoing uh, international war crime uh, we're at a time though but we're going to come back to you if that's all right and keep this dialogue going as it has been for so many years. Thank you, um, Isabel Garcia. Sure. Be safe now, and we'll talk to you You soon. Take care. Bye-bye. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein, and uh, well, these are difficult times, but the Flashpoints team will be there for you if you're there for us. (laughs) Stay tuned. it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>